Good morning. So how many of you are up uh, from 7 to about 10 uh, watching the Yankee-Houston game? You can admit to it. Raise your hand. Oh, Brewers holdouts, huh? Okay. I can't blame you. Now, you know that I'm really a Cub fan. Don't hold that against me. I grew up in Chicago and 69 Cubs, heartbroken, but they finally got their World Series. And, uh, well, Madden is now gone. He's heading to the Angels. So the Cubs have had a pretty good run. Brewers are a fantastic team. Sorry that they didn't make it. And, well, so now I've pushed over to the Yankees. I like Aaron Judge. There's some believers on the Yankees, etc. But Houston, you got to love those guys. Why? So a couple days ago, it, I'm freaking out. I'm on the couch sitting with my wife, and she's pulling for Houston. I go, why are you pulling for Houston? She goes, like, they're really good. (laughs) You know what I like about Houston? Altuve. Bregman. These guys, you know, and I say this kind of analyzing a little bit. Yankees have a great team, but it's, it's, it's home run or nothing. And, you know, everyone wants to hit the home run. You know what was really cool? The catcher... If you saw it last night, the catcher for the Astros laid down a bunt. He never bunts, but he took one for the team. And what I like about Houston, and it's going to be unbelievable, I think it's going to be one of the best World Series ever because I think Houston and the Nationals really kind of pair up. It's going to be an off-the-charts World Series. But I like Houston because they do the little things, and on one hand, they have guys who could hit home runs, but... The guys who hit home runs do other stuff, too. They field, they do the fundamentals, they got great pitching. It just, they do whatever it takes to win. They do the little things. In the scripture in the book of Revelation, there were seven churches. Let's call them teams. And Jesus said to a lot of these churches, I have an issue with you. And he pointed out the little things they weren't doing, even Ephesus, who did all the right things. And he said, but you forgot this one thing. You forgot your first love. But then there was this church called Philadelphia. It's called the Church of the Open Door. Why was it the Church of the Open Door? The thing that was most important, they had their first love and they loved one another. Therefore, God says, this is the Church of the Open Door. I think about Open Door They're serving their community and going into all the world. God is providing them with everything they need because they absolutely put him first. And when people put Jesus first, it reflects in the way we treat one another. And what does it mean, church, to lay down a bunt for the team, for the church? And the reason I say this to you is just to give you an encouragement. When I come here, I feel like I'm in a Philadelphia church. There's a whole lot of love here. Uh, Brother Travis, uh, and church. Uh, I love being with you guys, Pastor Bob. This is just a very good church. But even though I say this encouragement, don't ever take it for granted and, and think, well, we're a church of Philadelphia, we've arrived. No, we've never arrived. Because Jesus says we have sin in our lives, and, but he is, he is our, our goodness. We have no goodness, but uh, he is our goodness. But always ask God, because every year the World Series comes again. And the World Series for us is every day. What does it take to serve our local community, to serve our church? What does it mean for people here in the spirit who are catchers, intend to hit doubles, gappers, and home runs? 
would you be willing to lay down a bunt when the other team doesn't expect it? And what does that mean? Okay, enough said there. So, uh, all these years through global baseball, and now, this last year, we've transitioned through the IRS to Global Sports Federation. With subsidiaries underneath, we have a medical ministry called Double Play Medical and Dental. We have an aviation ministry and transportation called Triple Play Transportation. And you remember in the life of Paul, he came to Jerusalem. The scripture said that his brothers and sisters, like like Peter and James, they offered him the right hand of fellowship. I think of Dr. Mitch Glazer, of a person like a Peter or a James. I absolutely respect him. The brothers and sisters who are chosen people, they're opening up the messianic realm to me, the worldwide context of ministry to the Jewish people for sharpening me with a master of divinity in Jewish studies, a doctoral degree, etc. But it says they offered him the right hand of fellowship. They blessed him, and then they sent him on his way. And as time went on, I realized, you see... James and Peter, they were called more exclusively to the Jewish people. You remember in the scripture it said that? So they were like Jews for Jesus guys. Okay? And it's not that I'm not, but I kind of am not. As Paul was called to the world, to the Jew first and then to the nations. And I've seen in Cuba thousands of people saved. I've seen many house churches planted And who would ever think in Cuba that through sports I would be led to the main synagogue, develop a relationship with them, and then they they give uh, a recommendation to me in Buenos Aires, Argentina, to the sports community there? Who would ever think that sports and being Jewish would kind of line up for a ministry to me after I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And in April, I'm heading to Buenos Aires, Argentina with basketball guys to do basketball clinics for kids. Now, here's the thing. When I um, was ministering at the main synagogue through softball, Maccabee softball, going, they're going to Israel, them going to Latin American, Pan American games, Mitch Glazer kind of laughed at me. He said, oh, there's like a handful of Jews left in Cuba. But see, I was willing to lay down a bunt. I want to hit home runs, but sometimes you've got to hit a bunt first. The scripture says, who's faithful with a little? will be faithful with much. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. And because, and, but what he didn't understand is the Cuban Jews are the darlings uh, of the whole world because a lot of them couldn't leave. And so those who were left, uh, one of the guys on the softball team just made Aliyah to Israel. And he's my friend, and he's going to play on Israel softball, so I'm going to get to see him not only in our tours to Israel, but when I go to Israel... But the main synagogue in Cuba recommended me to the sports uh, uh, people in the Jewish community. So I'm going from a context of 1,500 Jews to 250,000 Jews. That's how Jesus works. But you can't despise laying down a bunt for Jesus. So, and come January, I'm off of the payroll of Chosen People Ministries, back 100% to global sports, and then... I'm waiting till January, but I'm working on the website now of a Jewish ministry called Burning Bush Ministries. I think you heard my testimony, how I asked God uh, many years ago, over 40 years ago, God, can I have a Burning Bush experience like Moses? And then I had my uh, Burning Bush my, my way. And so it's such a special thing in my life. And I say to people, Jew or Gentile, you can have a Burning Bush experience too. 
And, and so we're putting this Jewish ministry in place. So uh, as I speak to you, we're transitioning. Uh, pray for Terry and I. Pray how you can get behind this ministry. And I'm also inviting you all. I'm going to Cuba in December. If you want more information on this, you're welcome to go with me. If you'd like to go, maybe somebody here is, hey, I can go. Well, then you can go. We'll talk about it. I have two trips to Cuba coming up this summer. May, June, July, sports, medical, humanitarian aid, home visitations, vacation Bible school. You can come. And then I know that a few people in the first service, maybe this service too, is anybody in this service going to Israel with Bo in November? If you are, raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you're not, you need to go with Bo. You would love it. And what's really cool, I was with Bo a couple months ago in Manhattan, spoke at his church. We had a blast. He is an, one awesome dude. You'd be really proud of him. And you know, he so sold out because he was willing to lay down the bunt for Jesus. Jesus came and laid one down for him. He won the housing lottery. He was living in a crackerjack box. And God gave him like space in a very big apartment in Manhattan. And I mean, Jesus hit a home run for Bo. And giving Bo the opportunity to hit home runs. Because he's surrounded by Jewish people. He's surrounded by people who need Jesus. And I want to do anything I can to pray and to support him. One great guy. So... Um, but I also, next October 12 through 22, we're going to be doing Israel. One of the things we're going to do is visit um, the burial place of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and some cool things. On our way home, for those who want, uh, we're going to visit Auschwitz in Poland. So I am not looking in any way to compete with Bo, just the opposite. You have an opportunity to go with Bo, you go with him first. But if we have trips at different times and for whatever reason you can't go with Bo, then Uh, The October trip next year is happening, so um, the Lord will sort all that out. But I want you to know I have the utmost of respect for Bo, and as far as I'm concerned, you go with him first. So when I'm done uh, speaking today, I'll go hang out in the lobby, and there's some brochures brochures and uh, an example of a newsletter for Cuba. This is a a brochure for global baseball, and although we're not global baseball anymore, but Global baseball is still a subsidiary. It's one of the sports that we're doing, maybe even the main one. But these brochures, like why baseball, why sports, it's the same thing, why we do this. But I have a tear-off, and I don't want to waste these. I want to finish these up, where you can fill out your name, address, phone number, and email. I'll make sure you get a hard copy of our newsletter. Email copy on constant contact. You'll always know what we're doing. You'll know how to pray for us. You'll know how to be involved. So if you will go now to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, I'm going to transition into the fall festivals. Now, if you remember, we did kind of a Last Supper scene, Messiah and Passover, last spring here. It points to the first coming of Jesus. And then Pentecost is also first coming of Jesus, receiving of the Spirit, first coming, greater things than these shall you do. But now, the fall festivals represent the second coming of Jesus and Israel in the last days. So we're going to have fun with this. First holiday, Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. The Lord spoke to Moses 
23, verse 23 of Leviticus. Tell the Israelites in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, and trumpet blast, a sacred assembly. You must not do any daily work, but you must present a fire offering to the Lord. The first day, the seventh month. The seventh month like um, July? No. Jewish people uh, and the nation of Israel are on a lunar calendar. It's different. And... The Feast of Trumpets is also called, I don't know if you've heard this name, Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the new year. But if this is the seventh month, how could it be the head of the new year? Well, it's the head of the religious new year, which falls out in the seventh month. The Jewish people have two new years. They have a spring new year, which represents the coming in of the crops or the agricultural new year. But in the fall, it's a very special month, the seventh month, and a lot of stuff happens. So it's a uh, like a time of new beginning uh, for the Jewish people and very important. So I remember growing up in a synagogue, even though I don't look like an Orthodox Jew to you, and I personally wasn't, I grew up in a modern-day Orthodox uh, synagogue, which I um, was actually very thankful, especially when I read the Torah and the Tanakh and giving my life to Jesus. I knew I would have to someday give answer, not only to Reformed and secular and conservative Jews, but I would have to give answer to Orthodox Jews too, so I'm glad that I understand the mentality and had that background. I'm going to blow the shofar for you, and this would happen in my synagogue, and I'm going to explain to you on Rosh Hashanah what this means. Well, I wouldn't say it's pretty, like Muhammad Ali, he would say, I'm so pretty. No, I'm, this isn't pretty, but it gets your attention, doesn't it? So that's what it's supposed to do. It's a time, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the New Year, to get your attention because for the next 10 days before the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, it's a time of reflection. You know what's really cool about the Jewish holidays in the Old Testament? Have you ever heard the term in church, we're having revival at our church? Have you ever heard that? Different denominations do it a little different. We're we're having revival. But you know what's cool about the Old Testament? It had revival built in to all these different holidays. And for so for 10 days, the Jewish people were to consider, am I living the life that I'm supposed to? Am I honoring God? Have I missed God? Is my name in the book of life? And it all culminates in the Day of Atonement. But before we get there... What I want to do now is take you to 1 Thessalonians. What's cool about the Old Testament, the Old Testament paints, is painting a picture of something greater. The New Testament is the fulfillment, and I want to show you, in my opinion, what I believe is a fulfillment or the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren and sisters... Concerning those who are asleep, so you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will uh, not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, as believers, what do we call this time? This time when the dead in Christ rise, those who are alive. So there's a first elevator. First elevator, dead in Christ, go up. Our bodies are reassembled. We're caught up in the clouds with Jesus. Then those who are alive, believers, they go next. But before that, they hear a shout. They hear the sound of, you heard this shofar? In that day, it's going to be nothing like it. The whole world will hear it. Have you ever been caught up in a thunderstorm? You see the lightning, then the thunder, and sometimes it gets so close to you, your knees are knocking. I'm telling you, in my opinion, knees will knock in those days for those who are left behind. What do we call this experience? Don't be afraid to answer, because I know you all know what it is. The rapture, okay? So, does anyone know exactly when that will happen? Okay, I don't want to get into the theological aspects because here's what's really cool. All believers believe there's going to be a rapture. Now that's really pleasant. So what's the deal? Well, some believe it's pre-trib, some believe it's mid-trib, and some post-trib. But if you really think about it, it's only a seven-year difference. So one thing is for sure, there's going to be a rapture. It makes it very clear in the scripture. But regardless of the time, a time's coming, the, tr- the trumpet of God will blow, the shout of the archangel, dead in Christ rise, those who are alive are going up. But here's my evangelistic thought process. So when we're on the other side with Jesus, will we look down and will we have to have tears wiped away, not because of sin in our life, not because of bad thoughts, this or that, but maybe for those people that we didn't witness to, about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I believe there's two kinds of sin, and there's one that we think is a lesser sin. But brothers and sisters, the scripture says there is none who does good, no, not one. And the Bible says if you've broken one of these commandments, you've broken it all. God sees the sin issue. Of course there are some sins that have greater repercussions. But there's one sin that I believe has a repercussion way beyond anything that we know. So there's the sin of commission, right? The sins we commit. But then there's the sin of omission, the things we didn't do. And brothers and sisters, I think one of the greatest things that we don't do is when we have an opportunity to share Jesus, some of us find reason and give ourselves excuse for why we didn't do that. And you know why that happens? Because our heart is not hot enough for God. We are not on fire. Jesus really isn't first in our life because God made me a promise when I stepped into ministry years ago. And this is what he said, Jeff, don't worry about how I'm going to take care of you or how finances and these kind of things will fall in place. Don't be motivated that way. I'm going to take care of it. I know what you need, just like I knew what Billy Graham needed. Did he ever lack anything? No. How did it all fall in place for him? He took care of God's business. What is God's business? Human beings. Human beings are what's most important to God. So when I think, Lord, I don't want to get to the other side and look down or in my heart think, who could I have shared with? And brothers and sisters, I'm sure that I have forgotten many people or that 
I was busy or whatever happened. And thank God he forgives. But I encourage you and I challenge you, put God's business first. He knows some people in the church, you're challenged financially. You may be challenged with health. Whatever it is you're challenged with, so into human beings, God will take care of your business. And some things that you're very concerned about, believe it or not, God can clear those things out. I've watched them time and time again. When I didn't know how something would come about, I says, well, I have no control over this, but what I do have control over, let's lay down a bunk for Jesus. Let's go back to uh, Leviticus, chapter 23. And now we're going to go into holiday number two. Verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses, the tenth day of the seventh month of the day is a day of atonement. You are to hold a sacred assembly and practice self-denial. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord. On this particular day, you are to do not to do any work, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for yourselves before the Lord your God. If any person does not practice self-denial on this particular day, he's to be cut off from his people. I will destroy among his people anyone who does work on the same day. You are not to do any work. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. Wherever you live, it will be a Sabbath of complete rest for you. You must practice self-denial. You are to observe, observe your Sabbath from the evening of the ninth uh, of the of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, the day of atonement. So ten days later is a culmination in what would happen. And for those who are going to Israel, for the ladies and anybody who will go to Israel, right outside the city of Alat, there is this place called Timna Park, and they have an exact replica of the tabernacle in the wilderness. I actually have it on my cell phone. I was just there. It's really cool because you look and you go in and you see the laver for washing and then you see uh, the place where they make the offering of fire. Then you go into the holy place and they have like this model uh, that looks like it would be Aaron and his son. And Aaron has this breastplate with 10 beautiful gems on it over his heart. I mean, 12 gems representing the tribes of Israel. And as he takes of the blood and he goes from the holy place into the holy of holies and you see the Ark of the Covenant and what's inside of it. And he puts upon the mercy seat the blood. But he doesn't just do this um, for himself and his family, but he does it for the Jewish people. And every year he has to repeat this atonement over and over again. The typology is God had a, uh, an atonement where bulls and goats didn't have to be presented by high priests every time Israel sinned, but Jesus paid the price once and for all. We have a greater high priest. We can go right to God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. And Here's something cool God showed me. You know, uh, recently I had a new prescription and glasses made, and I got something called transitions. And because sometimes when I would drive, when the sun would pour into my eyes, it would kind of be blinding, and I'd get these little migraines. So I said, could you um, give me one of those glasses that when you get in the sun, it darkens so that I'm able to, you know, to see properly. And also it has like a glare resistance too. And I thought to myself the other day, that's how God sees us. God has these sunglasses on. 
that can protect his eyes because God is holy and he really can't look upon our sin. So he, he got these transitional glasses and it's called his son, Jesus Christ. And what's really beautiful is when he sees me, he sees through Jesus that my sin is covered. And when I think on it, I, I, I am so grateful. And I don't ever want to lose this gratefulness because, you know, Billy Graham would say when he speak, he says, it's because of Christ that I could even stand before you. And I say this humbly, the only reason I can stand before you and even say one word is because of Jesus. And I hope that my words today are anointed and will only bring encouragement. So now let's turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter 12. And we're going to talk about a future atonement. Not the atonement, but an atoning time when the Jewish people are going to realize, as a nation, their atonement. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, look, I will make Jerusalem a cup that causes staggering for the peoples who surround the city. The siege against Jerusalem will involve Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples who try to lift it will injure themselves severely when all the nations of the earth gather against her. On that day, this is the Lord's uh, declaration, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, and I will keep a watchful eye on the house of Judah, but will strike all the horses of the nations with blindness. Brothers and sisters, this is Armageddon. Verse 6, on that day I will make the leaders of Judah like a firepan in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume all the peoples around them on the right and left, while Jerusalem continues to be inhabited on its side in Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of David's house and the glory of Jerusalem's residence may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that on that day, the one who is weakest among them will be like David. On that day, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10, here's the key, the atonement. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look on me whom they pierced. This is the Old Testament. This is uh, Zechariah. If you want to know how to witness to Jewish people, I talked to the cantor of my synagogue and said, who's this talking about? Or there are Jews who believe in what we call modern-day Jewish uh, rabbinical theology, and they try to twist this around to say that the nations are going to pierce the Jewish people. Kind of like the whole, they say, oh, this is the Holocaust. But this is theologically impossible. It doesn't even make common sense because before and after the nation of Israel is repenting. So are they going to repent for having crucified themselves? No. It's like saying that Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, is Israel. It can't be because whoever the servant is dies as a sin offering. And the, and the, the festivals tell you that the Jewish people can't be a sin offering, but it seems to be like a human being that's going to spill their blood because that offering, remember, has to be without spot or blemish, has to be perfect. Who's perfect? Are the Jewish people perfect? No. Are Gentiles perfect? No. But there is one who 
lived in a fleshly body who was perfect. Oh my God, there can only be Jesus. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly as one who weeps for a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning of Hadad Rimen in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, every family by itself, and the family of David's house by itself, the women's by themselves, the family of Nathan's house, and it goes on. National repentance has hit the nation of Israel coming in a day in the future when the Jewish people cry out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said when he looked over Jerusalem? I wanted to gather you. You wouldn't have it. Like a mother hen would gather her chicks. There's going to be desolation. You're not going to see me again until... There are people who write the Jewish people off saying they're replaced. No. The church is the church. Israel is Israel. They're two separate issues. And the thing is, is Jesus left the door open and he said, uh, you can see me when you cry out. And according to prophetic scripture, the scripture says the day is going to come when the Jewish people will cry out. And here's what's really cool as a lead-in, as a sneak preview. Ever since the Holocaust... The Jewish people, after the Holocaust, there were 600,000 people who returned to Israel. You know how many Jewish people are in Israel now? Six to seven million. And there's an increase of anti-Semitism in Europe and worldwide, even in America. And you're going to continue to see the nations empty out of Jewish people. People end up... So the scripture makes it very clear that that end-time national repentance is going to happen after the nations empty out of Jewish people. God knows what he's doing. He birthed a nation that wasn't a nation. He brought the dry bones up from the graves and he's bringing them back to Israel, but he first brought them in unbelief. Now here's what's cool. Since 1948, more and more Jewish people are coming to Jesus. It hasn't hit the peak. It hits the peak here when the Jewish people cry out, as a people group, and national repentance happens. Let's go back to Leviticus. We'll finish up. I'm going to save my spot in Zechariah as well. So I call that a special time in history, a day. Sometimes when it says the great and terrible day of the Lord, it's a time period. It's not necessarily one day, but a day's coming when Israel is going to accept their atonement in history. Verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to, of, of Zechariah 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, the Feast of Tabernacles to the Lord begins on the 15th day of the seventh month. And it continues for seven days. So you see from the beginning of the month, you have a 22-day time period, which is a very, very special time of the year for the Jewish people. And a very special time of the year for us, too, because we know the fulfillment. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You're not to do any daily work. You are to present an offering by fire to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a fire offering to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. You are not to do any work. Verse 39. You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th of the seventh month for seven days. You are gathered the produce from the land. There will be a complete rest on the first day until the eighth day. And on the first day, you're to take the product of majestic trees, palm fans, 
boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you're to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. You are to celebrate as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statue for you throughout your generations and celebrate it on the seventh month. You are to live in shelters for seven days or tabernacles. And all who are native-born of Israel must live in shelters so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. Well, where Bo lives... Uh, very close to Brooklyn or Manhattan in those areas. Very, I think in New York there's probably 1.8, 2 uh, 3 million Jewish people, greater metropolitan area, Manhattan, many Jewish people. But the greatest concentration of Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews is Brooklyn. And what's really cool, I mean in apartments, they have like these sukkahs or these tabernacles where... Uh, people celebrate for seven days. and But what's really cool, it's to be made with those things that I just read, the leafy trees, the bows, and you're not even supposed to nail it together. It's to be a temporary shelter to remind that the Jewish people for those 40 years left Egypt and they went from one place to another in these temporary shelters where God promised them a day's coming, the season will come to an end, you're going to go into the promised land and the shelter I give you is not going to be Uh, exactly temporary anymore. It'll be more permanent. But in this life, nothing's permanent, right? Okay, but he says, I'm going to give you a house that you didn't build. Uh, It's going to be on me. So what do you think that the Jewish people, as they were traveling through the wilderness, when the cloud lifted or the fire lifted and went from one place to another? Now, I talked about the tabernacle in the wilderness. So imagine in back of me that drum set is the tabernacle in the wilderness, and you have people on this side, people there, and there, nothing in back, all facing the tabernacle, the 12 tribes, 1.8, uh, 1.5, 2.5, however many came out. They went in, 72 people. They're coming out, uh, millions. It, it's amazing. And they're living in these tabernacles, and God says that your shoes didn't wear out, your clothes didn't wear out, I fed you through the wilderness before I brought you into the promised land. What did they do when they went from one place to another with those sukkahs or those tabernacles? What do you think the Jewish people did when they went from one city? And let's say the next place that they would arrive is 50 to 100 miles from there. What do you think they did with the tabernacles? or these makeshift houses that they lived in. And remember, they weren't, they weren't make, made out of cloth. They were made out of perishable substances. And I'm not saying there's a wrong answer, but what, in your opinion, what do you think they did? Did they bring it with them? Did, what do you think happened? We just switched into a Bible study. I'm now your facilitator. What happened? Okay, now, a fun challenge. Sticks, leaves, kind of big. Your family had eight kids, wife. um, Well, maybe with eight kids and a wife, you could carry all those sticks or whatever, but I don't think that was the emphasis. I think they either just left it there. Remember perishable substances? They just left it on the ground a couple years later, right? Biodegradable. Maybe some people burned it, I don't know. Uh, But... 
Uh, they didn't want forest fires. So one thing was for sure, is a perishable substance, and it had the ability to biodegrade, right? We all agree with that? Okay, but what do we know in this life? Jesus promised, I'm going to prepare a better house for you. What is that tabernacle that we have made of a perishable substance, but someday we're going to have a body that will be able to live forever? Where is the promised land? Heaven. What is the tabernacle? Our bodies. But here's the difference of what we had, what we have now that the Jewish people didn't have then. So Jesus was kind of on the outside, right? He was among them, tabernacling with them in the fire and the cloud. He was faithful. He was a husband to them. They saw miracles, special. He, they were provided for. But a day came after Pentecost, first coming of Jesus, that he came into this perishable house to give us a down payment of something better to come. If we have financial problems, if we go out by the way of the grave, which most of us will, brothers and sisters, we win. We've got a down payment because he's put heaven inside and that very spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will raise us too. Praise God. Let's go into the book of Zechariah again and now we're going to finish. Chapter 13. On that day, a fountain, verse 1, will be opened for the house of David, for the residents of Jerusalem, to wash away sin and impurity. On that day is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. I will remove the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. I will banish the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. An incredible thing is going to happen to this nation. Verse 7. Sword, awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate, declares, is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones in the whole land. This is the Lord's declaration. Two-thirds will be cut off and die, but one-third will be left in it. I will put this one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, Baruch Hashem Adonai. And I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people. And they will say, this is our God. God did not write the Jewish people off. And brothers and sisters, thank God, because he is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. None of us deserve uh, the goodness that he's given to us. But through the Jewish people, God is speaking to all people. He loves us, and he wants us to know he doesn't write us off. We write ourselves off, but he never writes us off. Chapter 14, verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that the mountain will move from the north and half to the south. You will flee by the mountain valley, and the valley of the mountains will extend to Azael, and you will flee as you have fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. Jesus returns in a physical body. His feet are standing on the Mount of Olives. But here's the cool thing. And when I read this, I go, oh my gosh. He's not coming back alone. He's coming back with his holy ones. Who are they? 
Remember those who went up in the first and second elevator? That elevator's coming down with Jesus. The church who went up, they're coming down. And you know it's amazing? This is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And during that thousand-year reign, it's an incredible time period because part of the population of, on earth are the saints. They have brand new bodies. And then the other population are those who made it through the uh, tribulation period, Jewish and non-Jewish people from the nations, and they're living longer and longer, but they don't have new bodies. It's going to be an incredible time for the history of the world. Verse 12, this will be the plague with which the Lord strikes all the people who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord will be among them so that they will seize the hand of one another and the hand of one will rise against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected gold, silver, and clothing in great abundance. The same plague as the previous one will strike the horses, mules, camels, and all the animals that are in the camps. Then here's the mercy of God. As they enter in to the reign of Christ. Then all the survivors from the nations that came up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. There's coming a time in history during the thousand-year reign of, of, of Jesus that from year to year, all the nations will send delegations to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, rain will not fall on them. And if the people of Egypt will not go and enter, then rain will not fall on them. This will be the plague that the Lord inflicts on the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and all the nations that do not go up and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. In the book of Revelation, it says when Jesus comes back, Satan's going to be locked up for a thousand years. So we would automatically think there's not going to be any sin on the earth during this time when Jesus is ruling and reigning. But if there wasn't any sin, the scripture says he rules with a rod of iron. He wouldn't have to rule with a rod of iron or firmness. We're not talking harshness. We're talking firmness. We're talking justice. So what does this mean even having to do with tabernacles? People, people make decisions. And even though Satan's locked up, they can't say the devil made me do it. People are still left alone to their own heart. They make decisions, and it may not be as apparent sin, but a day's coming, the scripture also says, that Satan, for a moment in time, who was locked up, will be unlocked, and there'll be one more war. And here's why I believe this. Every day, brothers and sisters, we have to deal with temptation. We have to deal with spiritual warfare. Well, even the people who lived in the thousand-year reign, except for those with new bodies, even though Satan will unleash one last flurry, those who have new bodies will not be tempted. Their heart will be so changed. And this is something I cry out every day. Lord, I, I, I long for the day that my desires are only your desires, that I only want to worship. I hate the sinful flesh, Lord. It gets in the way. And, and so I think we all long for that day, maybe as we get older, but I wished, not so much that I had this understanding, but when you're younger, some, sometimes you don't think in these terms. As, as I get older and older, and I have to take my cholesterol medication and watch my sugars, etc. And by the way, 
for those going to Israel who are going to have your fill of shawarma and falafel. I want to make a declaration. Okay, you might like zucchini. You might like Italian food. Forget about it. There's going to be a a special section in heaven. Brother, if you get up there first, I want you to put a special order. Not a falafel. That's vegetarian, and that's good for low cholesterol. There won't be any cholesterol anymore. I want you to order me the biggest shawarma and say, Jeff's on his way. Okay? So if you go up in the first elevator and I go up in the next, you order shawarma for me because it's going to be a very happy day in eternity. Brothers and sisters, thank you for the privilege to be with you. I appreciate our time together. God bless you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you.